following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. If you have um, read the Gospels before or listened to anyone who talk about Jesus' ministry, um, have you ever wondered about Jesus' approach to marketing. Mark marketing. Right? Like selling product. Um, so, uh, as for your grace, I've been using a part of my brain, another tongue part. So, it's um, take a minute. Wonder about Jesus' approach to marketing. I'm positive that the disciples of Jesus questioned his marketing smarts over and over again in the gospel accounts because we can see in the gospel Jesus making decisions that go against good marketing practices. You're wondering where you are right now. Why are we even talking about? Look, think about it for a minute. In order to get the most attention, Messiah, Jesus, what should he have done? Ride down from the clouds in a golden chariot, trumpets, blowing angels, singing, and all that everybody can see. Is that what Jesus did? No, gun. Have, we'll try be born in a barn instead. This not good marketing at all. Well, okay. So if that's all right, born in a barn. Well, we should have very careful record of his upbringing, and be able to see and hear his wisdom even as a child, raised in the spiritual capital of the world in Jerusalem, right, where. This is where God is supposed to touch the earth. Do we have that? No. Raised in total obscurity in a backwoods town of Nazareth. Even the, the locals say, what good comes out of Nazareth? That's recorded in Scripture. That's what people thought of the town that Jesus grew up in. Total obscurity. Most people didn't even know where Jesus was born. That story didn't get out. This is bad marketing. In our text this morning, we're going to see another example of Jesus' major marketing blunder. In, in I'm going to get struck. <laughs> we're going to look at Mark 1, 35 through 39. That's page 837 in a pew Bibles. Look at Jesus' approach to marketing. Now, in the last few weeks, if you recall, we have talked about Jesus' ministry on one particular Sabbath day in the town of Capernaum. He went to synagogue with his disciples. Uh, there's only four at the time, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I think he still calls Simon at this point. 
And he taught in the synagogue, Jesus taught in the synagogue as one who had authority, not as the scribes did. He wasn't just reading somebody else's stuff. He's teaching with authority and even cast out a demon there in the synagogue. And after his service was over, he go back to Simon Peter's house where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And after sundown and the Sabbath was over, everybody in town showed up at the door to see Jesus for deliverance from disease, for demons, and maybe just to see spectacular things happen, see miracles. So I don't know if you've ever had a day like that. Um, but it's a pretty big day, I think. Um, right? This, uh, everybody in a city of Capernaum, and again, I say city, like think Shakaroa Village city, right? Uh, everybody in this leading city of Capernaum now knew about Jesus, and they wanted more. Uh, more teaching, more healing, more freedom from demons. Who wouldn't, right? So, what does a good marketing strategy look like in this scenario? Well, give the people what they want, right? You want everybody to know who you are, I guess you probably ought to go where the people are, right? Make it easy for them to come to you so you can meet their need, right? Doesn't that make sense? Am I the only one? None of you are in marketing, clearly. <laughs> well, let's look at Mark 1.35 and see what the beginning of Jesus' first day as a famous celebrity looks like. In verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Right, let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us this morning that we might be molded, made more like you because of our time together in your word this morning. May your spirit be at work in our hearts to change us, make us more like Jesus. Open our eyes to see the truth of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So here's Jesus approaching marketing. After a huge day from a marketing standpoint, now big splash, everybody knows who you are. The popularity ball is rolling. Where should Jesus be? Right in the center of town, right? Obviously, if you want everybody's attention, you go to where you can be found. And where was Jesus? Nowhere to be found. <laughs> Uh, 
the disciples get up that morning. They can't have ham and eggs or bacon. It's very sad, but maybe something. <laughs> I don't know what to eat. Uh, they get up in the morning. Bagels. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Getting very distracted here. Disciples get up that morning and know Jesus. What? Where did he go? Wait, no. This is like we are on. Messiah is here. We're, let's go take over the world and poof. He's a gun. Pretty soon people start showing up. At Peter's house, they remember how to get there. Not a bit. Can't find the center of Shakoro village. You're not trying hard, right? They knew where he was. Easy to find. They start showing up, looking for more of Jesus, but Jesus is a wall. Now, clearly, Jesus is not very good at marketing. But the disciples were experts at marketing. Just like I'm pretending to be. I don't know anything. <laughs> the disciples, being experts at marketing, decide uh, to mount a search and track Jesus down. That's what the Greek word means. Uh, track him like a wounded deer. <laughs> Follow the footprints. We'll find him. They tracked him down. And they, they found him eventually. Not in the center of town. And not at the synagogue, not at town hall, but in a desolate place, a desolate place alone. Now, we've seen these words, desolate place, in our study in Mark already. Do you remember? It's the same word, wilderness. Places that are sparsely populated. Mostly uninhabited, the exact opposite of a population center. This is where the people aren't. This does not make any sense, does it? The disciples tell Jesus, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus, being the master marketer, replies, oh, good, let's go somewhere else. This does not make any sense, right? Everybody in town, they want more of you. Now, let's, I want to go back there. Let's go to a different town. This marketing 101, here's what not to do. Think about what Jesus is facing here. He could go from his wilderness hideout back to town where the people would flock to him. He could establish, think about this, he could establish Capernaum as a new spiritual center of the world. Who needs Jerusalem? Messiah's in Capernaum, right? It's a new religious capital of the world. Wipe Jerusalem off the map. Who needs that place? It's too crowded anyway. Messiah lives in Capernaum. Come to see him. Do you know, every time in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is found in the wilderness to pray? 
every time he goes to a desolate place to pray, he is facing the possibility of deviating from the plan in order to achieve his messianic goals. Every time he is faced with a choice to accomplish the goals of Messiah in, quite frankly, a much easier and more attractive way. Look, he does not have to worry about uh, go to cross. Just go back into town. Everybody's looking for you anyway. You don't have to sleep on the ground. You don't have to say uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. You got Pete's house. It's pretty nice. And his mother-in-law is there to cook breakfast. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, back in verse 12 of this same chapter, chapter 1, was not the only temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The devil offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world if only he would bow down and worship him. Here, Jesus is tempted to go back into town, set up a new religious center for the world, after feeding the 5,000 later on, the same book, Jesus retreated to the mountainside to pray instead of going back to the crowd who was hungry for more. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the end of the book, in a solitary place, Jesus asked the Father if there was another way other than a cross for him. Every time Jesus alone in the wilderness to pray, he is facing this temptation. Yet in each wilderness, each desolate place where he prayed, what happened? He's given the power to yield to God's will. Given power from the Father to yield to the Father's will. Jesus gained strength through prayer. Maybe we wanted to try that. We too can pray for the power to yield to God's will. Is that what we pray for? Um, well, you can answer that in your own head. J.P. Lang wrote that Jesus made the desert place a temple of God by his prayers. And I think we can do the same. Despite the demands of the crowds, Jesus found solitary places to pray. Solitary places to pray alone. Everybody's looking for him. Everybody wants more of him. But he knew he needed to be alone with the Father. And we need that too. Jesus said that in a, as Jesus said in a, John 5:19, that apart from the Father, the Son can do nothing. And later in John 15, he said that apart from the Son, we can do nothing. And it is prayer that keeps the connection going. Jesus prayed because he knew 
that the power came from the Father and not from himself. Power to open doors that no one could anticipate. The power to yield to the Father's plan and the power to not give in to the wisdom of men or the weakness of the flesh. Do you know that same power is available to us? Maybe we should avail ourselves to it. The Father still has power to open doors for ministry that no one could anticipate. He still has the power to allow us to yield to his will. He still has the power to give us so that we do not give in to the wisdom of men or the weaknesses of the flesh. And the power is available to us in the exact same way it was available to Jesus through prayer. Is that what you pray for? That's not what I pray for. I'm going to be honest with you. I like, Lord, can you just pay the bills? <laughs> yeah, my, you know, Papa's not feeling good. Linda's not feeling good. Can you fix that, please? Can you just kind of smooth out the bumps so we can float along? <laughs> That's what I pray for. <laughs> Occasionally I pray for you, but sorry. How about we all start pray for the power to yield to the will of God? Because that does not come automatically. Do you know that? Do you know that it's not in your strength or my strength that we do what God wants us to do? Our strength, my strength, gives me the power to do exactly the opposite of what God wants for me. What he wants for you, you do the same thing. That's a call to sin. That's a um, sinful nature that we struggle with and fight all the time. And it was the only way to overcome the sinful nature. Try harder. The secret ingredient is effort. Wrong. It's not. It's the power of God to yield to his will. And that power is only available from the Father. Let's not um, make the mistake of thinking we can't handle it. It's not that bad. I don't want to bother God anyway. It's not that big a deal. Our Father loves us so much more than that. He wants our hearts. Not just our behavior or our outward um, actions. Yes, we pray for the sick. Heal those who are hurting. Heal those who are wounded. Heal those who are struggling. Give strength. Yes, absolutely. But what's better than that? Power to yield to the will of God. Do you know the will of God uses sickness? You know that God's will uses pain? Well, that stinks, but it's the truth. We can't forget that. Maybe somebody is sick because they need to be. God is working that. We say, well, God doesn't use difficulty. He's supposed to love us, not give us a hard time. There's an expression I can't use in a church. <laughs> Pull your head out of your butt. 
It's not about you. It's not about me. God uses our difficulty for things we cannot imagine. The disciples said, come back to Capernaum. What if he did? What if Jesus said, you know, you're right. Easy way. Let's do it. What happens then? No cross. No, no Pharisees. None of that teaching. Sermon on the Mount, not necessary. We miss it all. I tell a story all the time about a butterfly. Butterfly starts a fat caterpillar, right? Little worm. And uh, we remember from science class, elementary school, the caterpillar make a cocoon and eventually comes out of the cocoon a butterfly, right? That's cute, wonderful, miraculous. What we don't know about is how the caterpillar gets out. You ever find an empty cocoon? I like that. To see monarch butterfly cocoons are very um, distinct. But they're never split in half. How did that thing get out? If you were to sit and watch that caterpillar try to come out of the cocoon, you say, look at him struggle. He just bite a tiny hole, and he's trying to squeeze out of the tiny hole. What a dummy. What, just make a bigger hole for crying out loud. And if you take your pocket knife, which I know you all carry because it's 2019, and uh, you cut it open, what happens to caterpillar or butterfly? It's not a butterfly or a caterpillar. It's somewhere in between. It's a lumpy, uh, shriveled wing thing destined to die. No beautiful wings, not really caterpillar anymore. It's gross. This is exactly what happens to us through difficulty. The caterpillar has to squeeze out through a tiny hole in order to push the fluid in his body, or her body, excuse me, its body, out into the wings. It can't happen until it squeezes through the tiny hole. You know, difficulty is the same way for us. Now, this is a heartwarming it's to make you into a butterfly. Your hard times to make you into a butterfly. <laughs> it's probably not. You're, we're all a bunch of lumpy worms, I guess. But the truth of the matter is that that difficulty, whether it ever makes us into a beautiful butterfly and we have a story of victory or not, that difficulty has effects on more people than just us. My problems are not just for me. My trials are not just for me. I don't know what ripples in a pond will come. Celebrate. The Bible says rejoice in trials of various kinds because the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And that's just for you. What about everybody else? Get to see your struggle and how you deal with it. power to face temptation, a power to yield to God's will is available to, to us the same way it was available to Jesus. And like Jesus, we must be ready to respond. We are called to live as Jesus lived. I see you are nodding your head. 
But I want you to think about it for a minute. How did Jesus live? If Jesus' life is a, a life on earth is example for us to follow, well, we better think about that. We have the same power and the same force available to work in us to advance the gospel wherever we are, just as Jesus did. Whether at home or at work, in our families, in our recreation, our hobbies, we have the same power available to us as Jesus did, the Holy Spirit, available to us through prayer. But if Jesus is our example of how to live here on earth, it's a whole lot more of letting go than grabbing on. We are never look, we are never going to fully grasp what Jesus gave up to live on earth. And that has not stopped, you know. Jesus, uh, God is spirit, does not have a physical form, even though that's all we can imagine, uh, his physical form. And he still lives in that body now, a resurrected body, right? Not a spirit like a God anymore. He is still given up for us. He did before, for eternity past. He has a resurrected body. It's not the same as ours. Sure, it's not as... Anyway, it's different. But he is still giving up for us. And if Jesus is our example of how to live on earth, we need to keep giving up, not grabbing on. But we can't do that on our own. The secret ingredient is not effort. It's yielding to the will of God. And we can only get that power from the Lord. And we can only tap into that power by being diligent in prayer. Diligent to find a time and space where we can be alone with the Lord. Maybe your house does not feel like a desolate place. Um, my house in the afternoon is not so desolate when everybody comes home. Maybe your house is like that all the time. Sometimes you have to be creative in order to make a space, find a place where we can be alone with the Lord. Doug Fields, author, a youth pastor from California, built a blanket fort in his garage where he could go in, pull the blanket over, and everybody leave him alone so he can be alone with the Lord. That's funny. <laughs> Susanna Wesley. So you see Doug Field. Well, he's a pastor, right? <laughs> They've got all the time in the world. Susanna Wesley, nud pastor, pastor wife. Her husband was a lousy pastor, but she was the mother of the hymn writers John and Charles Wesley. You are maybe heard of them. She was also the mother of eight other kids, right? Ten kids. She was the youngest of 25. Uh, they had must have had a big farm to work or something. I don't know. Right? She's the mother of ten. She homeschooled all her kids, does not have the free time, send him off on a bus. Ten kids. She would sit in her kitchen with her apron pulled up over her head. Right? Two hours a day. 
in a study Bible and they're praying. That's at 10 kids all over the place. And here she is in the kitchen with an uh, apron over her head. Well, isn't that nice for them? The same is available to us. We just might need to get a little creative. If we want the same power, we have to follow the same pattern. If we want to have the power to yield to God's will, if we want to have the power to say no to the flesh and no to the wisdom of men, we have to go to the same place in the same way to get that power. So we have to get creative. Maybe don't have a garage to build a blanket fort in. Uh, build a treehouse. Sit on the roof. I don't. I can't figure that out for you. Right? We have to find a place to regularly be alone with the Lord so that we can yield to his will. We can read his word. We can pray for power, face the difficulties that we have in our lives, and have the power to yield to his will. And we can pray for healing. We can pray for salvation. We can pray for strength for others, and we should. But our primary concern should be praying for the power to yield to the will of the Father. We can pray that for ourselves. We can pray that for others. If we hope to accomplish anything for the kingdom, the plan and the power must come from the king, not from us. We learn that plan from his word, and we tap into that power through prayer. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. May we find the strength to do the same. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I confess to uh, only giving nuggets of my life to you in this way. And keeping you in your appropriate compartment. I pray, Lord, for your help to seek you in prayer every day. I pray that we all would do that, Lord that we would find a way to be alone with you and to pray for the power to yield to your will. You alone are our source of strength. May we all live lives in full submission to you, only by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let's just stand together and sing. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, Checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.